0: John 3, verse 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went to the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. John also was baptizing in Anon near Salim because there was plenty of water there. People were coming and being baptized since John had not yet been thrown into prison. And then a dispute arose between John's disciples and a Jew about purification. So they came to John and told him, Rabbi, the one you testified about and who was with you across the Jordan is baptizing and everyone is flocking to him. John responded, No one can receive a single thing unless it's given to him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I've been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the groom, but the groom's friend who stands by and listens for him rejoices greatly at the groom's voice. So this joy of mine is complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. We're familiar with especially the last line of that passage, aren't we? He he must increase, but we must decrease, or as John says, but I must decrease. And and here in this um, little portion, we, we read about John the Baptist's joy at hearing that the bride has begun to flock around the groom. He gets news that, that people are flocking to Jesus. And of course, um, John begins to realize that his task, his commission, which was to prepare the way for Jesus, has reached its conclusion. And now Jesus' ministry will come into fullness and John's ministry will come to an end because Christ has come and he eclipses everything. The sun and the moon bow down to worship him and Jesus is on the scene and John, who'd, who'd acted as the bride's groomsman, as the groomsman, as the best man, John is just thrilled that the bride... Is finding the groom. Yeah, that's right. yeah. And that's his conclusion. He must increase, but I must decrease. A couple of uh, Fridays ago, I was, had the great pleasure of being with the Explorers, which, as you know, is our group for the retired and the semi retired, and um, began asking them this question what, what is it we are here for? What is it that's changed our lives? What is it that, um, right across the room, what is it that we all have in common? Why is it that we see the future a certain way? Why is it that we can look back and we can have a perspective on our personal past that's a particular kind of perspective, what is it that gives us our view of the world? When we, when we, read, when we hear the news, when we, when we read of what's going on, we consider the nations and the, the shenanigans and the rubbish and the nonsense and, and all that's happening and the tensions and the turmoil. What is it that gives us our worldview? And of course, of course the answer to all those questions is not, it's not really a What? It's not a philosophy, it's not a religion, it's not a cause that we stand for. It's not it's not a message we've embraced. It's not a what it's it's a who. It's a person. It's Jesus who's changed everything for us. It's because of Jesus that we're together. It's because of Jesus we can look back on our past with that perspective. It's because of Jesus we can look ahead with that perspective. It's Jesus who towers above everything and dominates everything. And when we say things like, it's all about Jesus, it's a relationship, not a religion, those things aren't slogans. It is all about Jesus. When you consider the the, the story of the Twelve, In Mark's Gospel, um, Jesus begins to to call the disciples, and all that he does is call them to follow him. We won't look up the verses, I'll assume you're familiar with those. He doesn't give them a job offer. He doesn't invite them to join a club. He doesn't promise them any glory or fame. He doesn't make mention, he he doesn't make mention uh, really of what will happen in the future for them. He simply calls them to follow him. It's very, very personal. He calls them to follow him. Will you follow me? In Mark chapter 3, when Jesus goes on the mountainside, it says he prayed all night, and then he called to him the 12. He's going to designate them as apostles. But all he does is, it says he called those who he wanted to be with him. To be with him. It was very, very personal. At the end of John's gospel, as Jesus so graciously, so lovingly, so kindly, so sensitively reinstates Peter. Those three questions. Peter, do you agape me? Lord, you know I phileo you. Peter, do you agape me? Lord, you know I phileo you. Lord, you, know I phileo you. Peter, do you phileo me? Lord, you know I you. He, he, he meets Peter where he's at. He brings, he, he brings things to a place that Peter can embrace. Right. He says, do you love me? Do you, Peter, after the last three years? After all I put you through. After all that you went through. After all the the way your character was formed, all your disappointments, all your highs, all your lows. Peter, do you still love me? Lord, you know I love you. Then I want you to love the people I love. Yeah, that's right. And his very last words to Peter, if you have a look in John's Gospel, not his very last words to Peter, but in this portion, verse 19, after saying this, he told him, follow me. Very personal. All about Jesus. Not about a cause, not about a message, not about a philosophy, certainly not about a religion. All about Jesus. When we come on to Paul's story, when he writes to the Roman church, it's his, it's his, um, it's his, um, it's the culmination of, of so many things, this letter to Rome. And he writes to the church that's situated geographically at the heart of the mighty Roman Empire, which understood authority and hierarchy and position and power and dominance. And Paul writes to the church seated in in Rome and describes himself in chapter 1, verse 1, As a slave of Christ. I'm a doulos. I'm a slave of Christ. It was the highest accolade he could think of. Higher than emperor. Higher than governor. Higher than prefect. Higher than any any of those worldly empire terms. Paul is a slave of Christ. When he describes in Galatians the... The gospel he received, and 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 he says, "I received this gospel not from them, but from Jesus." In Acts chapter 26, Paul describes um, the third time he describes his the third time his conversion is describes described, and he says that Jesus met me on the road. I was on the road, I was traveling on the road, and Jesus met me. Jesus appeared to me, and Jesus in appearing to Paul, it was so personal. Jesus appeared to him and gave him his gospel. In Galatians 1, chapter 15, as he's describing this and writing to, this, to the church in Galatia, he says, when Jesus was revealed in me, it wasn't simply that Jesus was revealed to him, Jesus was revealed in him. And deep inside the man there came a revelation of Christ, of a person, of the God-man, the man Christ Jesus was revealed in Paul. He goes on in Galatians to say he longs to see Christ formed in you. I believe that's God's heart for our church, isn't it? Christ formed in us, not just known by us, not simply um, shown to us, but revealed in us. Christ in us. Christ revealed and, and fully known and coming to fullness in us. It's all about Jesus. Paul writes to the Ephesians and he says, he says that the church's destiny is measured by the full measure of the stature of Christ. That's how, he, that's how he would evaluate. That's how he would judge things. Does the church, is the church reaching towards the fullness of the full measure, the whole stature of Christ. Is Christ seen in his church? He writes to the Philippians, and we should just turn to this one, Philippians 3, very familiar verses to us. Chapter 3, verse 8. This is one of Paul's last letters. He speaks in verse 8. He says, more than that I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him I've suffered the loss of all things and consider them filth so that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God, based on faith, ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. My goal... If you were to fill the next bit in yourself, my goal... Put yourself in portions. My goal is is to reach Spain with the gospel. My goal is to is to convert the whole of the Gentile world well, those things were in his heart but my goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead that's Paul's ultimate goal knowing Christ in Colossians 1, he says, we proclaim with all the energy working through us, we proclaim Christ because we want to present you all mature in Christ. Yeah. You see, friends, for Paul, it was never about the size of the churches. It was never about the size of his, of his sphere of ministry. It was always about Jesus, the God-man, who stopped him on his tracks and put an overwhelming claim over his life and ruined him for anything else and then sent him out To proclaim his name amongst the Gentiles. And just like the twelve, and just like Paul, you and I are here because of a person. What we have in common is a person. We're part of this church because of a person. And that's so important because it keeps everything else in its proper perspective. If we were all about a cause, we easily start to become coercive, pushy. If we were all about a message, we might try and manipulate things. If we were, if we were all about a doctrine, it's very easy for us to get dogmatic. But we're all about a person. A person, and that keeps us pure and passionate for the person of Jesus Christ. He must increase, I must decrease. I think these are John's last recorded words, his final statement. This is his conviction, this is his revelation. His work is over, he's prepared the way. As a groomsman, he's gone ahead of the groom. As a best man, he's gone ahead of the groom. He's gone to make preparations for the wedding. And now the bride is coming out of the villages, coming out of the towns, flocking towards Jesus. The bride has begun to make her appearance. He knows his task is finished. He knows his commission is fulfilled. Do you know God called John in the womb beginning of Luke's gospel it says the the prophecy over Zechariah and Elizabeth is that this child will be filled with the spirit whilst he's in the womb and when that child, that month's old child is in the womb and Mary arrives, you know what happens don't you, this child leaps for joy the call of God is on his life from the womb. And now 30 years on, his work is done. His joy is complete. And he will decrease because Jesus must increase and eclipse everything. It's hard to think of a more poignant and eloquent and Humble statement, those few words, isn't it? He must increase. I must decrease. But in thinking about that these last few days, I think there's great relevance for us. He must increase. We must decrease. Jesus, the one who's the center of it all, the one around whom we gather, the one who we all have in common, must increase in my life, in your life. And I and you must be willing to decrease. And this is how I felt God put it to me with these words here God's offer to us, God's promise to us, God's provision for us is all of Him for all of us, all of Him for all of you, all of Him for all of me. It's like an offer. It's an exchange. It's a provision. And it's the greatest exchange imaginable, isn't it? All of him in return for all of you. All of me. When I say all of you, I don't mean all of you. I mean all of you, Richard. All of, all of you, Linda. All of you. For all of him. Him increasing... You decreasing. If we'll give ourselves fully to Him, it's not that he, well, he will, then He can give Himself fully to us. You know, we know that on the cross, Jesus took all our sin, took all our sins, and in exchange gives us all His righteousness ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. We know that he took our frail human nature, and he's exchanged it for his divine nature. 2 Peter 1 verse 4, we participate in the divine nature. And I just want to say this, friends, all of him, all of him is totally sufficient for all of you. When I say all of you, can you just take it personally? I realize that it doesn't quite sound right. Not for all of you. It is, he is sufficient for all of you. But he's sufficient for all of you, Simon. All of you, Liz. All of you, Beth. All of you, Josh. He's sufficient. All of him is totally sufficient. He's sufficient for all you're facing. He's sufficient for all you dream of. He's sufficient for every challenge, every concern, every anxiety, every burden we carry. He's sufficient for all of them. He's sufficient for all my physical needs, all my health needs, all my emotional needs. He's sufficient. He is the total answer to our total need. Jesus, you're all I need. All I need is all of him. Yes, amen. All I need is all of him. But that is also his demand on us. Yes, yes. Amen. It's not just his provision. It's not just his offer. It's not just the, 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 um, the promise he makes to us. It's also a demand. It's a requirement. It's a precondition. Because coming to Christ and entering his kingdom and following Jesus it's an all or nothing thing. Yeah. Here's a thought. He doesn't, want, he doesn't want more of your time. He doesn't want more of your thoughts. He doesn't want more of your meditations. He doesn't want any more of your money. In fact, he doesn't want all your time. He doesn't want all your thoughts. He doesn't want all your meditations. He doesn't want all your money. He just wants you. Yeah. All of you. He wants all of you. So there's nothing else that I'm relying on. There's nothing I'm holding back. There's nothing I'm keeping in reserve. He wants all of me. So he can give me all of himself. See, those questions, Peter, do you love me? Andrew, will you follow me? Those kinds of questions that we've all had to answer. They're demanding questions, aren't they? And they can't be answered conditionally, half-heartedly, yeah. lukewarmly. The rich young man found that, didn't he? Yeah. Well, uh, or the man who wants to bury his, bury his relative. You know, these are all or nothing answers. Yeah. Yeah. It requires us to surrender all of ourselves to him because he, he has a claim over all of my life. I was created by him and for him. Angels, help us to adore him. He created an angelic realm. He created a human realm. He created the other living creatures. But he created me for him. He has a claim over my life. All of my self-stuff, my self-reliance, my self-sufficiency... My, self-importance, my, or my self importance, my self ambition, all myself must decrease. In fact, it's got to do more than decrease. It's got to die. So that he can increase. It just doesn't work any other way. I can't have all of him and retain chunks of me. That's surely what the cross is all about. I crucified the old man. That surely is what baptism is all about. I buried the past. I reckoned the old nature dead. I can't live happily or successfully or fruitfully with a foot in two worlds. You and I can't be part-time believers sampling the blessings of Christ But clinging on to things that are contradictory and opposed to Him. If you are trying that, if you're trying to live with a foot in both worlds, you will agree with me this morning, won't you? It's not possible. It's not comfortable. It's not fulfilling. It's not satisfying. It's not what you were born for. If you're lacking joy, or unfulfilled, or living below potential, feeling empty, I urge you to do an honest checkup and ask whether he has all of you. Stop being part-time. Get all in. Stop paddling near the shoreline. Get right out there. Stop tasting. It is good to taste and see, but start feasting. Let the taster take you all the way in. If I could just speak to the men in the room, every man, every father, every husband in this room, set an example. Let us, let us set an example to our wife and our children of what a man of God looks like let's set an example of what Christ looks like. Be all in. Men, if you are dabbling in any sin, flirting at work, pornography, inappropriate banter, coarse language, any sin, if you're dabbling in any lukewarmness, brothers. Your work colleagues don't really know what makes you tick. Where you stand. Something about your your faith in Jesus, your relationship with Jesus is secretive or hidden or embarrassing to you. Or you're rarely praying or rarely reading the scriptures. And your worship is wishy-washy. If you're dabbling, men, in any compromise, if any of us are dabbling in Compromise, where we're making decisions based on the wrong factors or we're setting an example that's half-hearted. Brothers, take stock and put an end to it. He is full of grace but he's also full of truth and the truth is these things are killing you and time's up put things right don't test his grace men of this church let's give ourselves fully to him so he can give himself fully to us ask him to increase in you let me turn all of us to second peter They are not point they are they're not pointed at any man in particular. But when we were in prayer as elders a few weeks ago, the Lord clearly spoke about those issues. So we must be faithful. I hope you've received something, brothers. Time is up on sin, on compromise, on lukewarmness, on wrong priorities on setting an example that your kids don't really want to follow. Set them the example of the man of God, of Christ himself. 2 Peter 1. For his divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. By these... He's given us His very great and precious promises so that through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that's in the world because of evil desires. For this very reason, brothers and sisters, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness, goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, Godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are ours and are increasing, they will keep us from being useless or unfruitful in our knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our relationship with Him, who eclipses everything, does not work on a part time basis, it's wholesale, it's all or nothing. Part-time faith will always frustrate us and leave us empty. But let's not fear the exchange. All of him for all of me. It's a pretty good deal, isn't it? All he wants is all of me. All he wants is all of me and what he'll give in return is all of himself. Participating in his divine nature. Like Paul said, we read the verses in Philippians. Jesus has taken hold of, 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 of me and you. Just say that. Just, just say that to yourself. Jesus has taken hold of me. Just just say it a few times. and Let the truth of that sink in. Jesus has taken hold of me. Jesus has taken hold of me. Jesus has taken... Jesus took hold of me and it was for purpose. It wasn't to mess around, it wasn't to play games, it wasn't to join a club, he took hold of me for purpose to save me to gather me together with this wonderful church to give me everything I need for life and godliness but he must increase and I must decrease and I want to ensure he eclipses everything, I want to search myself I want to search myself and say, Lord, I want you to have every single bit. All my past. All my present. Things that bother me. Things I'm challenged with. Choices I make. Decisions, priorities. The way I am at work. The way I speak. The way I act. Every thought, every word, every deed. Lord, I want you to have everything. I give it all to you all the things I've been struggling with, all the things I've, I've dabbled with and shouldn't, Lord, I give everything over to you. Thank you, your grace is sufficient. Lord, I thank you that you want to give me all of yourself. Church, I pray that we will surrender all. I pray that you and I will know what it is to shut the door when we go into that private place we shut the door on every other distraction every other thought and we devote ourselves to him I pray we'll know what it is to share his divine nature to be awash with kindness and all those other characteristics of Jesus we're going to worship the Lord again together now but I just want to say to you I don't know what road you're traveling on But like Paul, he wants to meet you on your road. We would love to talk to you this morning about giving yourself to Christ. About an encounter with Jesus. We would love you to encounter him today. As we worship, let's just take up that challenge. Has he got all of me? Why don't we stand together in his presence? Thanks for joining us today there's so much going on at living rock church and we'd love for you to be involved search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching visit www.livingrock.church or search for us on facebook twitter and instagram